0: Welcome to Reporter's Notebook. I'm Enrique Cerna, along with CrossCut staff reporter David Croman. After the election of Donald Trump, David spent some time in eastern Washington, where Trump fared well. David is here to talk about what he found east of the Cascades. Well, you spent some time in Ritzville, small farm town just off of I-90. Been through there many times as a graduate of WSU, going back and forth when I was going to school, but also in the past going back for football games. And it's a place you kind of stop to get a cup of coffee or mm-hmm. go to the bathroom. But, you know, there's a town there. Tell me about Ritzville, the Ritzville that you found.
1: It's, you know, it's kind of a nice little town. It's got, you um, big. Big grain silos and really nice sunsets and a church and a, you know every couple hours a, a train kind of rattles through and it has this very sort of old time agriculture farmy feel which is nice I, I guess I went out there with the idea in my head that I would hear this narrative we've been hearing a lot after the election which is kind of white rural work, quote working class towns that feel like they've been sort of forgotten or left behind uh, in the economic recovery. So I guess that was sort of the lens that I went over there with. Didn't exactly hold up. So how so? I'd walk around and I'd talk with people and and sort of talk about why they voted for Donald Trump. And of course, you know, economic anxiety comes up, but it wasn't the sole reason. It didn't feel quite as much of a, you know, revolutionary uh, vote for change or populism that I think a lot of pundits are talking about right now. I mean, when it sort of boils down to it, Ritzville and that. Part of Washington, just they always vote for a Republican, and so voting for Donald Trump, um, yeah, I don't think was was necessarily to a lot of these people some hugely notable thing. They just felt like Republicans have always been their choice, and feel like Republicans represent them better. And Donald Trump was running as a Republican
0: it's reflective of that uh, difference between the uh, west side of the state and the east side of the state, yeah, exactly. and the fact that uh, it's on the east side of the state and many of the areas there it is more conservative, it is more republican, mm-hmm. so I suppose it would be natural mm-hmm. but I, in reading your story though I found some like contradictions sure uh, in that the folks um, as you said, I think from an economic standpoint the They were still making a living. It's not like they had lost a manufacturing firm or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But on one hand, they were supporting Trump and also the idea of we don't want government messing with us. But on the other hand, they also, as a farming area, depend on farm subsidies and other things uh, for that community.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it sort of goes to show that, you know, everybody, I think when it comes down to it, everybody's working hard and so you know i would i'd be talking with people about you know economic the state of uh, our economy right now as it is and people would sort of gripe a little bit obviously as everybody does right now and so then i would talk about some of the people who in seattle are also struggling and this question this thing would come up often about how well people over there are kind of living off of welfare and living off the government and the difference is i work hard for what i get out here uh, and so then i'd follow that up a lot of times with well you know the the government has a pretty big hand in agriculture out there you know how do you sort of reconcile that and it, you know for when you talk to these people it wasn't really they didn't really see a comparison necessarily because they are working hard you know it's not like they're living easily off of what the government's providing everybody out there is working hard but it was more of this contrast with what they had assumed people in Seattle were doing, which is not working hard, which is just sort of sitting back and living off the government. So there was never, you know, I talked to one woman about this who, again, brought up people in Seattle not working hard. And I said, you know, there's a lot of farming subsidies. And I wasn't bringing this up. Other people were talking about these farming subsidies. And she sort of, you know, laughed it off a little bit and said, well, you know, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And so I think what it boils down to is just that everybody in the United States is working hard to a certain extent, and nobody wants to feel like they are living off of the welfare of others. But to a certain extent, everybody is. Uh, It's just easier to paint people that you have viewed as sort of ideologically different as somehow being less hardworking or depending more on handouts, even if that's not necessarily the case.
0: And I think uh, one thing that uh, your article really showed is uh, we did polling for the election, KCTS and CrossCut, and we worked with uh, University of Washington professor Chris Parker uh, from the Washington pool, and and the one thing that he noted was above and beyond everything else, uh, the results in our polling showed that the partisan divisions and toxic political climate that we observe at the national level extend to the electorate in Washington State. Republicans and Democrats divided here just like every everywhere else, and I suppose uh, Ritzville is a bit of a microcosm of that difference. Of the mm-hmm. fact that you know it is a conservative area, very mm-hmm. Republican, and yet we have this divide in this state and how we both do each other oh, right. from east to west and yeah. i
1: i think where there's a, a major underestimation on both sides of the mountain are i think on this side of the mountain we underestimate how important it is to the people on the east side of the mountains that people on the west side of the mountains have this sort of what they see as undue influence on washington state every conversation i had that was among the first things to come up was that Olympia is making decisions on our behalf that we don't like. And I think you you can't really underestimate how many decisions or sort of political decisions are made on the east side with that in mind. On the flip side, I think a lot of the people that I spoke to on the east side of the mountains underestimate how sort of an important multiculturalism and sort of, you know, living with our neighbors and uh, progressive cultural values the Puget Sound region really is. I think a lot of people move to a place like Seattle or some of the cities around Puget Sound specifically to be around a diverse set of people and diverse religions and skin colors and things like that. And I, I I never got the sense that they understood that that was very important is very important to people who live out on this side of the mountains.
0: Uh, it was interesting to me too, that, um, They didn't seem to have a a good uh, perspective, or uh, I about Tim Iman, the anti-tax guru who's made initiatives uh, kind of a way of life. Um, And on one hand, you would think that uh, they would like him, but I suppose some of them had had gone ahead and supported some of what he has done. But some of the initiatives that he has passed has has actually hurt their community.
1: Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that was an interesting sort of surprising discovery on my part. And, you know, I, I think his, specifically his, his cap on property taxes, his limit to how much cities can raise them to 1%. Um, You know, I think a lot of the population still really likes that because again, it's, it's when you are out there, it's so wide open. Um, it's, it's much harder to sort of tie the tax money that they're contributing to something specific. Like, you know, we can look at, light rail or whatever, but there isn't a lot of light rail out in Ritzville. Um, So I think the population still supports that, but it's really interesting when you talk to county commissioners and city managers and mayors, all of whom are still very Republican, Bill Bryant voters, most of them Donald Trump voters, although not all of them, talk about how because those small towns have such a, have really not a very diverse stream of revenues, you know, Seattle has all this construction that we can tax, out there, there's just not that much construction. Sales tax is pretty low. And so they had always depended really heavily on property taxes. And so this cap you're hearing from people you would not expect to hear from is, is killing them. Um, I had a conversation with with one man who said that um, in eastern Washington over the last five years, they've lost 118 sheriff's officers. Every single year, about $37 million is getting diverted out of road funds in order just to maintain police departments. So there is it's it's just funny that there is a certain amount of economic anxiety that I was hearing about from these politicians out there but it wasn't coming from this place of you know globalism or free trade or these things that you hear on the campaign trail it was coming from this one very specific local measure that these people were saying is really making it difficult for us just to maintain basic services. So as you look at um you know, your time
0: over there and Ritzville, I suppose, is uh, the microcosm of uh, kind of the Trump support in Eastern Washington.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, I guess part of the reason I went out to Ritzville and that area is it's not a swing vote. (laughs) You know, there's so much political attention paid to, you know, this supposed white working class that flipped the vote for Donald Trump. And, you know, while that may be true, to a certain extent, you know, if you think about it, that's sort of the cream on top are these, these relatively small number of voters who maybe have voted for Obama in 2012 and have now voted for Donald Trump. But the reality is underneath that cream is millions and millions of people like in Ritzville who kind of just did what they always do, which is vote for Donald Trump. And without that sort of level of foundational support, those few thousand voters who maybe switched wouldn't really matter in the first place.
0: Do you think that they are um, kind of waiting to see what Trump will actually do and and whether they have that much faith in him?
1: Yeah, I think everybody is. Um, but again, this is a place that hasn't voted for a Democrat since the sixties. There's this sense, there's this perception that a Republican is better for agriculture out there. And I think right now they have a lot of confidence that that will continue to be the case. I, I think in Seattle, there's this sort of tension everywhere in which people are sitting on their hands and waiting to see what exactly will a Donald Trump presidency look like. I didn't really feel that when I was out there. I mean, obviously, they supported him, so they were pretty happy about his election. But I got a pretty strong sense of security going into the next couple of years. And here, I mean, I think we're in the blue bubble. So everybody's sort right. of
0: wondering what, uh, what's next here. Right. Well, it's uh, one of the other stories that you covered while you were over there had to do with a race uh, involving uh, a Grant County Superior Court judge. He's a sitting judge. He was appointed to the position, David Estadio, by uh, Jay Ensley. His opponent was a uh, an attorney from Moses Lake named Nick Walker. Um, it became an interesting race, partly because during this time of Donald Trump, also, being in Eastern Washington, and the fact that um, uh, Nick Walker, who was running against this to deal, made a big deal out of the fact that he was appointed by Jay Ansley mm-hmm. and, and really was trying to paint him as a uh, kind of a, a western Washington guy right. which is bad right.
1: <laughs> yeah thing to be painted over there <laughs> right I mean, for as hostile as people are towards presidential. Democratic presidential candidates, they're just as, if not more, hostile to Governor Inslee. He is sort of, to a lot of people out there, really represents this decision-making without true representation in Olympia. Even people who had sort of mixed feelings about Donald Trump that I met over there were very, very sincere in their dislike of Governor Inslee. And so when you have a judge who was appointed by Governor Inslee running for re-election, He had a Latino last name. I think despite the fact that the Latino population on that side of the mountains is about 30%, it's only 4% of elected officials are Latino. Latino, So that the odds were not good, both politically and from sort of a racial perspective. Um, And then his opponent made no qualms about bringing both of those things up. He, from day one, called Estudio a political appointee from Inslee. And then, um, encouraged his supporters to point out the fact that uh he was latino um when people who were in favor for walker brought it up he would kind of egg them on a little bit on facebook and things like that so he was doing everything he could to tie estudio both to Inslee and to his last name and yet estudio managed to pull it out which was pretty impressive especially in this race that was this ele- uh, presidential race that was so dripping with tones of racism and anti-elitism.
0: It was uh, very close. Uh, Estudio, I think, won by uh, about a thousand votes, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit less, about 51% to 48%. Uh, but what he did was that he went back to the uh, old-fashioned style of campaigning, and that is like, get out and knock on doors.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he you know he did a lot of that, and which works probably better out there than it would in Seattle, just because, you know, there's a lot more word of mouth in these small towns Uh sitting down with people and having a cup of coffee goes a long way, um, as he did. Um, he also consciously played up, uh, his, his sort of quote, Eastern Washington values. He put that on all of his, his campaign materials. So, um, you know, he's, he's deeply Catholic and so played up his faith and played up his connections to family and hard work. And, um, they sort of gambled on his opponent's message of race and elitism falling secondary to what people, out, they felt like people act, out there actually cared about, which are hard work and family and education and things like that. And as it turned out, they were right. And that's what he played up. That's what he really mm-hmm. worked hard to uh,
0: to get out to the camp mm-hmm. in his campaign and to tell people that uh, that that's what he was going to be all about. Um, more stories from Eastern Washington? You going to go back there? I mean, it seems yeah. like uh, there's a lot to be learned.
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have a story out following up a little bit more on the the I'm in thing probably next week. And yeah, it's an interesting time for a local Seattle publication because there's been so many conversations about living in a bubble, you know, and you know, that's a two way street. See, so we live in a bubble, but I would argue people out there live in a bubble too. Um, so you know we're having a lot of conversations about how do we break that down a little bit.
0: And learning what uh, people on the other side of the mountains think and feel, which exactly. uh, it, it can be very different. Yes, you What know, well. well, can be over here? All right, David Croman. You can find David's article, "The Real Reasons Eastern Washington Voted for Trump," as well as his article about the campaign of David Estadio, the Grant County uh, Superior Court judge who won the seat outright this time around, so he'll be there for the next four years. Find those online at crosscut.com, and this has been Reporter's Notebook. I'm Enrique Cernat. See you next time. To hear more podcasts from KCTS9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.